0: It's time for Fish Facts TV. Welcome to Fish Casting the Fishing Podcast. I'm your host, Tanner of Fish Facts TV. And I'm Captain Tim. All right, guys. um, As we said in the last episode, I apologize. We, We haven't been as frequent lately. Um, I've just been working like crazy. So hopefully, I mean, not hopefully things will be slowing down in the next couple of weeks. I honestly don't know when I'm going to be able to post this. So by the time I post this, we might be back up and running. Um, but I've tried to do a little bit of fishing when I can, uh, sneaking out to the beach. I know Tim has done a little bit of fishing and he's got some other stuff to talk about. So, uh, let's get into the meat here and then, uh, Maybe we can talk a little bit more about uh, future plans at the end. Tim, it's been a little while. How's it, how's it been on the fishing front?
1: Yeah, it has been a little while. And and like you mentioned, it's been very busy. I I don't know if anyone remembers Hurricane Elsa (laughs) last week that came through, but uh, that put a little damper on our schedule as well. So between Tanner being super busy and, and hurricanes and, and everything else going on. It's been tough to get these out, but happy to be here and recording again. Uh, I don't know if you believe me, Tanner, but I made it out about 40 miles this last week and had a crazy day, crazy awkward and weird, did not do nearly as well as I thought we would, but still managed to get things together. Um, <clears throat> don't want to go into it too much right now. But uh, getting bait was very, very difficult. Um, Where I I like to get bait is on the flats, uh, inshore. Um, White bait and greenbacks are are generally my go-to live bait um, options I like to fish with offshore. And uh, I was able to get some, and the minute they got in the live well, they all died. Um, We're dealing with a little bit of a red tide issue down here, Um, we'll, we'll talk about that later. But uh, uh, I cut that, the beginning bait, really short. Um, after a couple casts with the cast net and everything just died immediately, we made the um, calculated decision to just roll with dead bait and hopefully we'd see some, um, see some live bait offshore when, where the water was a little cleaner. Um, ran out in, in pretty decent conditions. Uh, forecast was great for the whole day. This was last Sunday. It was just really, I say awkward earlier, I, I can't describe it. I, I haven't had a day like this offshore where the first five miles of the trip were perfectly slick. The next 10 miles of the trip were really rough. The next 10 miles after that were slick again. It, it was on and off, really, really weird conditions, no current, um, made to bite tough. So, um, only fishing dead bait, which is not my favorite. I, I, I've said it before a number of times. I like to have options when I go offshore. So, I had a bunch of dead mullet, I had uh, frozen squid, I had some of the, the fresh, dead greenbacks and pinfish that died from red tide. Um, I had ladyfish, um, really, everything under the sun. I was throwing a ton of chum to these fish. And um, what I was hoping to catch for red snapper, grouper, mangrove snapper, those varieties um, ended up catching one red snapper, which is absolutely insane because I've catched tons of them when they're not in season. And, and this is the first time I've been actually targeting them. So that was pretty frustrating. But the, the lack of current offshore was really, really weird. So there was just no current movement. And I I feel like between not having live bait and the current being completely stagnant, the bite was just not on. We caught a bunch of Vermilion snapper, a bunch of Lane snapper, ended up with a real good box full of those, um, boated a couple really nice red grouper, but just none of the red snapper, none of the mangrove snapper I was expecting. And uh, I I lost a lot of fish. I don't know what was happening, but, um, for only catching two keeper, really, really good keeper, you know, 27 inch red grouper. I think I lost six really good fish on the bottom. So just, just a weird day. Um, not having bait killed us that, that, that's what I'm going to go with. Um, was able to, to salvage the day somewhat, um, catching some Bonita on really light tackle on the way in. There was just bonita everywhere. So we were throwing really small um, jigs at these bonita on this light tackle and making the screaming runs. A lot, a lot of fun. Um, so kept a couple of those. Um, I know bonita get a bad rap. Uh, if you bleed them out immediately and, and bury them in ice, the, the, the meat is actually, I think, very good. Um, I've eaten on it the past four days uh, and rare after searing it in the pan with some sesame seeds so and and they're great for bait too so I always target Bonita when I see them just because they're they're really good bait and and I think they're pretty good eating so weird day made you know made it work but just not what I expected I, I went to red snapper mangrove snapper gag grouper spot and we caught red grouper vermilion snapper and lane snapper so just, just off all around.
0: I mean, it does not sound like the worst day uh, for me. I feel like I have a lot of lot to unpack, a lot of questions. First off, I love Vermillions and uh, and Lane Snappers. I remember the couple times I went to Destin. I think once I went with you actually. We loaded up on the on the Vermillions, and you know we we were getting them here for a little while in the winter time. But uh, I haven't seen any, you know, we haven't been doing that deep water fishing very much lately because the conditions have been bad uh, the few times I've gone out. But uh, I'm a big fan of Vermilion and I think some would say that Vermilion are the best eating snapper. Um, So I I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And same with the lanes, you know, I I enjoy catching a consistent lane bite is always a a enjoyable day of, of fishing. And another thing I wanted to mention about your, your Bonita comment. Um, so when I lived in American Samoa, I used to catch a lot of Pacific uh, Bonita, like they're in the same genus. They look like the the pattern of stripes is like slightly different. But other than that, like the coloration, shape, you know, is exactly the same as the ones. The meat looks identical, that like really dark, almost purple um, tuna meat. And yeah, the, the local Samoans, I, I had a, a neighbor that would love love those uh bonita because i mean it is a member of the tuna family
1: yeah and don't get me wrong i'm not going to complain about putting a lot of remilions and lanes in in the boat they they are delicious um they're they're always a a fan favorite and when you get on a hot bite and they're just coming over the rail that's great but it was just you know being being a, a fisherman that that thinks he's got most things figured out it was, uh, it was pretty humbling to go out there and only to catch one snapper in my target species. Um, so it was just just an odd day. And uh, yeah, those, those bonita. I, I don't know why people give them such a bad rap. Um, I've eaten a ton of them. I, I will say that I, I do think a blackfin tuner is, tuna is a little better, but not by much um, if you take care of them. And like anything between fish, wild game meat, whatever, just take care of what you're going to uh, consume, and and it's going to take care of you. So, uh, we we've really been enjoying it. We made some poke bowls out of it, and and had a great time with it.
0: Interesting. Uh, I I don't know. I, I guess I I've, I've eaten skipjack, but I have not eaten bonita, and I thought it was disgusting. Um, and I love I love blackfin. So I don't know about those statements you're making about Benita. If you guys missed it uh, on the on the audio recording, I was making some faces when Tim was saying that uh, Benita was just as good as Blackfin. I'm uh, highly, highly uh, skeptical. But I mean, everyone around here uses them for bait for uh, for trolling offshore, um, and they're a blast. You know, I, I grew up. You know we get quite a few of them in Jacksonville and in Samoa they were by far you know I was mostly trolling for a little mackerel so every time I would pull one of those they, they do put up a, a good a good fight um, and on the snapper front that's always frustrating I know uh, East Coast we had our snapper season um, over here and I was hoping to go with my dad but just with as busy as I've been, I I didn't get out. And I know that they had a lot of success. So it's definitely frustrating, especially when you know, they're there. Um, But I think by this point in the golf season, they've already been open a while, they've already been getting hit for a while. You know, it's not like if you were able to get out on that first weekend. And I think that's what my dad did is he really got out there. I mean, I guess in Atlantic, it was only open for two days. So it's a lot easier to get out there early than as in the Gulf. Well, how long have you guys had it open by now?
1: Yeah, it's been open for over a month now. I think it opened June 4th and this is the first time I've had an opportunity to go. And, you know, five years ago it was open for two weekends or, or three, four days like it is in the Atlantic. So it's really a blessing to, to have this long season, but I just haven't been able to get out there. So.
0: I mean, I think those snapper know when people are keeping them and when people are not because I've had a couple days like the the day I was in Louisiana or Mississippi they were everywhere um but then you know like when I was a kid we would get big ones every now and then when they were always open but I, I think they know and they don't bite as much when they know that the uh, their lives are much more likely to be on the line obviously there can always be sharks there can always be this or that but when they see their friends disappearing in a much uh higher capacity I, I think that they stop biting as easily
1: yeah they just may be smarter than we uh than we think but uh, uh happy to get out there i'm not complaining just uh you go out and you have a plan and and uh you want to target something it's it's tough when when it doesn't come together but that's what keeps uh keeps you keep on going out there and keep trying it absolutely Now, uh, I think you got a little bit of fishing in, you mentioned, right? Uh, Some beach stuff or something? Uh, What can you tell me about that, Tanner?
0: Yeah, I snuck out to the beach a couple times. Um, Two that I'm thinking now, it was three, two, three weeks ago. Um, So it's been a little while. And it was actually similar to the last trip I I talked about on the podcast. A lot of needlefish. Um, I don't know why, but... There, there is a good amount of bait on the beach, of uh, little white bait, those little small, like three inches. The past couple of times I've been out there, you know, as soon as the sun comes up, I can throw and not, they're not super dense, but you know, I can catch enough, catch 10, 15 with my little net, enough to uh, use for bait. Unfortunately, the needlefish do like those. But uh, those, those jacks are like school, like wolf packs. Um, and I had one school... Um, the school I told you about last time, knocking them on the beach. This was a little bit later in the morning. It was about 7.50. So I've been there for about an hour and a half with nothing. And I'm reeling a, a, a pilchard in, just kind of skipping across the surface of the water. One of them comes out of the water uh, and eats it. And, you know, these are, you know, probably five pound jacks. And I have that light tackle I like using for those snooks. 20 pound, I think I might've had 30 pound floral leader and 20 pound line, just zooming across the beach, um, You know, with those beautiful conditions, catching those bigger jacks, obviously not the huge ones like I'm catching in the Keys, but uh, it's so much fun. Um, I I caught two and then uh, actually I caught one, went back to go get another bait and the school moved so fast. So they're there one second, you know, I'm fishing about a third of a mile up from the jetties of the, the Miami pass. And I see the school goes down. So I release the first one, I run down, um, I cast at a second one. And I have some guy basically threatened to beat me up, um, because I'm bringing the sharks in by uh, fishing for sharks uh, in front of him, even though I told him I wasn't fishing for sharks, I was fishing for jacks. So I went back down to where my stuff was, and I ended up catching the school on its way back up north. Uh, so I was able to literally caught nothing but like three needlefish all morning, and then in a period of like six minutes, caught two jacks and then uh, headed in for the day. So no snook since maybe early to mid-June, I got that one snook. Um, from what my sources are saying, the snook over here are really heavy in the passes right now. So hopefully they finish spawning soon and they start to show up on the beach. Um, and tomorrow, I'm gonna try to go in the morning with our friend, Luke, um, that we had interviewed, but we're, we're fishing for uh, palmetta, um, uh, bread fins and baby permits. So it's more of a life listing, uh, but, you know, if we get some of those little thread fins, you know, if he's still trying to catch palmetas in in the in the surf, I'm going to be trying to catch me a snook.
1: Well, I, I know Luke's a listener, so I'm, I'm saying this in jest, but yeah, any of those micro fish that he catches, yeah, man, hook them on and uh, catch a real fish. Uh, o- only joking, Luke. But, uh, y- you know, m- my biggest takeaway from what you just told me, Tanner, is that, you got harassed all fishing that that's so unfortunate and just as, as someone who did that and obviously he was i don't want to say uneducated or ill-informed but i mean it, it that that that's tough you know uh, you're trying to go out there have a good time you're obviously not targeting sharks you're just trying to catch some jacks and and uh you know you you've been really busy you're trying to relax a little bit hit the beach catch some fish so i i feel bad for you man that that's unfortunate
0: Yeah, you know, it it all paid off in the long run. You know, there was another group of people that took a picture of me they were, they thought it was so cool that I was catching big jacks and this other guy just, um, you know, I think it was on a Sunday or Monday morning so he appeared to have been out uh, at the beach bars for a long evening. So um, it, uh, it is what it is when you're fishing Miami Beach, Uh, that's just kind of part of the experience. So, uh, you know, ended up working out for the best. I caught that second jack back where my stuff was, um, and I had a really good time. So, like, hopefully tomorrow um, I'll be able to get a snook. And also, I, I want my goal is to get Luke all three, the Palmetta, the Permit, and the, um, the Threadfin. And we've talked about the Palmetas before, haven't we? Um, yeah, we've
1: talked about them before. Yeah, that was now-
0: a while back. So I, I have been catching the palmettas in the cast net. Um, actually decent size, six, seven inches. So not, not the big ones, but you can you can definitely tell they don't have the long fins like the full size ones, but they still have the bars on the side that differentiates them from your pompanos and the permits. But all the pompanos and permits and palmettas are all kind of mixed up. So hopefully I can get him a baby permit, a baby palmetta and a, and a little thread fin and then maybe pull a snook out for myself.
1: Yeah, that that sounds like a a fun time now. Uh, Are you going to be throwing sabikis or are you expecting him to bring some of those ultra-tiny 24-size hooks or whatever they are?
0: Yeah, I've I've been thinking about that. I think sabiki is the move. Um, Just I have some little tiny ones. Just get the smallest sabikis. And they really go right in the area where the waves crash. Kind of creates a little muddy slurry. And, you know, they use that because it – pulls the little tiny invertebrates out of the sand. So I, I think, I don't know that I'm gonna put on a whole sabiki. I might put on like a half sabiki or maybe just cut like, I mean, I think half, I think two or three hooks is really all you need um, in that type of situation. But I have caught those little permits before on small white jigs. Um, and then also for the for the thread fins, you really need uh, some kind of shrimp. They're not as uh, ready to hit the artificials as the little permits and the palmettas are.
1: Well, it sounds like a blast get to hang out with a, a good dude. And uh, I know that if I was out there, I would definitely learn something from him catching those little tiny fish. So uh, can't wait to hear about it.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Tim, um, this week, because of everything that's been going on in your neck of the woods, um, we've decided not to do a fish of the week. I know uninterrupted for nearly a year now, but I do think that this is something that's really important. And I know I have a lot of questions. I think a lot of our East Coast listeners have a lot of questions. Um, so I guess we can, the, the fish of the week can be the um, dinoflagellate that causes red tide. I'll, I'll look it up while you're talking. Um, whatever the, the species of um, microscopic plankton, I don't know, you know it off the top of your head, but I'll, uh, I'll let you fill me in and I'll try to look up the name of that uh, that microscopic organism.
1: I think it's Crevenia brevis, but I may be pronouncing that wrong. Um, yeah, so, so red tide, is, it's obviously naturally occurring. Um, we get, you know, um, small concentrations with, you know, every few years fluctuating to to larger amounts, um, in the Gulf of Mexico and, and, you know, out to wider expanses. So it is naturally occurring, but we're having a heck of a time, um, right now. And and usually the typical pattern is it's a little later in the summer, early fall when we get the red tide. And and then by winter time, you hope that the cooler temperatures have pretty much killed it. So right now, in Tampa Bay, all all through the Bay, from from Old Port Tampa Bay, all the way out to Egmont Key, they're getting um, levels uh, that are just off the charts. So anything over um, a million, um, I think it's a million parts per billion. I'm not really sure what what the exact measurement levels are, but I know that there's um, really four different ratings, none, mild, mid, and then high. They're just off the charts high red tide right now. Um, the Tampa Bay is, is in, in the middle of an ecological disaster. Um, people are pointing fingers right now. Um, but we're still trying to figure out what's going on. Um, but it's it's bad. Uh, I think the last number I heard as of yesterday morning was there's been 600 tons of fish and marine life removed um and that's just what's been removed that doesn't even scratch the surface on what's actually dead out there there's mats the size of football fields of dead fish um all these canals and waterways are just inundated with dead fish there's been marine mammals affected um and not just a little fish there's megafauna um goliath grouper tarpon big snook so it's it's very sad um I encourage people, you know, after hearing this, if, if they're unaware of it, to, to Google Tampa Bay, um, Red Tide. Um, we did have a Red Tide event back in 2017, 2018, which we've talked about a little bit on this uh, podcast and that shut down the, the redfish, snook and tarpon fisheries for three years in Tampa Bay. But uh, it, it, it's pretty bad, Tanner. I, I can't sugarcoat it in any way. I always try to be an optimist, but it's 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 very unfortunate.
0: So I looked it up and Karenia brevis is the name of the uh, dinoflagellate species and they are native to Florida and Texas and they're found as far north as the Carolinas on the east coast but they're most common in the Gulf of Mexico. So um, you know a lot of people see the the red tide but just to kind of get into the The microscopic, so a dinoflagellate is a type of plankton. And what happens is um, for one reason or another, the the conditions become right in the uh, Tampa Bay or anywhere on Florida Gulf Coast, Mexico, Texas is where they primarily bloom. The conditions just become right. So these plankton just start rapidly, rapidly multiplying. And just creating huge huge numbers. So they have a a toxin, brevitoxins is the name of the toxins that are created uh, by these dinoflagellate planktons and those toxins are released in the air, they're released into the water, um, so they kill the fish. Um, they kill anything that eats these, anything that's in the water around them, and they can even get into the air and have respiratory impacts on people um, in, in nearly, nearly affected lands that are close to the water. Um, but it's really bad stuff. They are native, so it's not um, an outside force. It's something that does happen in nature. Um, however, there are certain factors that um, can increase the production of these two levels that you probably wouldn't see um, naturally.
1: Yeah, and, and to touch on what you said, Tanner, about the, the toxins, I've lived you know near the water my entire life and I've never had any issues with respiratory issues when there's been red tide blooms. But on the way back in on Sunday, when we went inside the pass, um, myself, my wife, and a, and a good buddy of mine were all coughing like crazy. My buddy's eyes practically swelled shut. He was having issues with it. So, And we were in an area that was way less impacted than, than in the bay itself. Um, and, and your point about um, the fish dying, and I wanted to bring it up earlier, but I knew we were going to talk about this segment, is I tried to use the, the bait that we caught um, as bait, even though it was dead, and nothing would touch it. Uh, the fish offshore knew not to eat that. I, I threw down some dead pinfish, some fresh dead pinfish, and nothing would touch it. I'd put on a frozen one, and boom, I'd get hit. So um, it's definitely definitely something not to mess with. Um, and you mentioned, you know, like, you don't know what contributors um, can go into it, but, you know, not to get political. But there, there was an uh, earlier, a couple of months ago in Tampa Bay, an ecological disaster where there was a phosphogypsum stack that leaked tens of millions of gallons of phosphorus and nitrogen-rich byproduct into the bay. So I mentioned there's investigations going on. We don't know what caused it, but it's it's a disaster right now unfortunately.
0: Yeah and and that's something else kind of to mention with these dinoflagellates, they need the same nutrients um, as would most plants. So fertilizer that you would use to fertilize your garden when it's washed into the water, not only these types of um, planktons, but any sort of algae can react to them um, and grow because it is what these plants—or I'm not plants, but like plant-based planktons—use to grow. Um, and so, while it may be great to put on your your crops or your fruits, it's not so great when it gets dumped into the water.
1: Yeah, and, and to Tainer's point, um, I live in Pinellas County, which is a peninsula that's surrounded by water on both sides, and uh, May 1st is really the start of our rainy season, and that's when we get a lot of rainwater that that washes people people's uh, roadways and lawns and, and gets into the bay and the surrounding waterways. There's actually a ban on any um, fertilizer uh, starting May 1st here every year for that very reason, because um, of algae blooms and red tide issues. So, you know, there's, there's things in place that we try to combat this knowing that it's out there. But unfortunately this year, it's, it's pretty crazy. Um, I, I don't even know what to say. The, the impacts are gonna go span years and years. So hopefully we get out of this soon. I was hoping that the hurricane was gonna wash some of it out, but it is still here and uh, we're gonna be dealing with this for a while, um, I'd assume.
0: Alright, well, on that kind of sad note, um, we will leave the Red Tide um, maybe when we finish my, my busy work schedule. Again, this will probably be our last podcast. I don't know when this will even get posted, but many lobster season's at the end of July, so I'm hoping to get out there and go fishing uh, that week. So uh, until then, remember, like, subscribe, Feel free to DM us any questions on, uh, Instagram and, uh, yeah, give us, give us your highest reviews, Tim.
1: Yeah. Um, yes, yeah, hard to end on a, on a, a, a bad note with the red tide, but, uh, um, Tanner mentioned the lobster season and for us over here, it's scallop season. And, uh, in a couple of days, I'm heading up to Homosassa Springs, Florida, which is about an hour and 20 minutes north of where I'm at here in St. Petersburg going to go hunting for some shells so uh scallop season is is always a fun time i got a week up there so uh I'll, I'll be sure to report that back and uh it's always nice to get some some intel on where those guys are so i'll be i'll be sure to share with our listeners hopefully there's some scallopers that that listen to this show so uh i'm excited for that
0: all right sounds good
1: tim we'll uh catch you in a couple weeks all right thanks for listening everybody
0: all right